You're listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I will be discussing domestic violence with the host of Unrelenting Humans podcast, Lonnie Woods. We'll be right back. How are you this evening? Uh, thank you for joining me for the show. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest. And uh, so we're going to get right into this really important and um, what I expect to be a gripping conversation uh, about domestic violence and uh, with the understanding that you're a domestic violence survivor. And so I'm going to start this off for the benefit of myself and my audience asking you before all of the domestic violence experiences, who was Lonnie Woods? Well, before, uh, it's a little complicated there. <laughs> so uh, my first domestic violence experience was at a younger age. So before that, I was just coming out of high school and I became an EMT. Um, and I had a daughter, my first daughter. So I was, um, a single mother and an EMT, um, that, um, just, you know, was 19 and just getting started in the world. I'm currently 34. So (laughs) it was a while ago. Okay. So you were leading, you know, basically a normal life. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, walk us through to, and I, I'm understanding from our previous conversations that you had um, experienced multiple bouts in different situations or relationships with domestic violence. So walk us through the first one from the beginning. Um, the first one, which I actually had to go back while I was in psychology class to really think about it to realize that that was my first experience with it. It wasn't necessarily somebody I was dating for a long time. We were um, dating briefly. And when I was working as an EMT, I was saving my money so I could get like a bigger place and move to the city because I used to live in a small town called California City. And once I saved enough money and I was about to move and he kind of just um, was angry and he literally like attacked me. He started shaking me and then he started hitting me and I fell to the ground and when I was on the ground, he kicked me. And he wouldn't stop hitting me until I pretended to basically pass out so he would stop hitting me. And then when he walked out of the room, I grabbed the phone. Back then, we didn't have cell phones, so 
it was like still the cord falling from the wall. And I dialed 911. But before I could talk to the operator, um, he came back. But I just left the phone off the hook so they could hear what was going on. And uh, about maybe 20 minutes later, the police showed up. And um, at first he lied and said that it was an accident that someone called. And then they like looked around the premises and they didn't find me, but I was in this room and the door was locked and closed. And he um, lied and told them that that was just a closet, that there was nothing in there. And so one of the officers actually wouldn't believe that. So they opened the door and then I was there and they ended up arresting him. You're fading a little bit. I'm not sure. Huh? Your voice is fading a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it was, um, so when they, they ended up taking him to jail and then they took me to the police station and they took pictures of all my, my bruises and stuff. And, um, they ended up, you know, having my aunt come pick me up and, um, he was actually a felon. So he ended up, um, he was facing life. I don't know exactly what happened with that. I never uh, followed up with that situation, but that was my first bout with domestic violence. Which, so he was a felon. So was that at the time when there was the three strike rule or something like that? They had a three strike law. Yeah. Okay. So that, that experience was uh, your first experience, but it was, it was also one instance, right? It wasn't a period of time, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, no, it was just one time. Okay, so that we pretty much get from the beginning to end. So now you're out of that situation, and what happens? Um, I get out of that situation. I actually, um, well, let's see. That was when I was 19. So then when I was, 20 I met another guy who seemed to be good and we were dating for a while and then we moved in with one another and after like a month of living together he started seeming really possessive and um I kind of ignored it I thought it was cute at the time like always asking me where I was and popping up places where I'd be like not letting me go anywhere alone and I thought it was just I don't know, for some reason I thought it was cute and attractive at that time. And then we got in a fight and I don't even remember why we drove. I think because we were roommating with my sister and her boyfriend. Then we got in the car and we drove out to the middle of nowhere basically and argued. And then he attempted to leave me in the middle of nowhere, but he came back and got me. That should have been a reason to leave then, but I didn't leave. And it just escalated. Like every time we would argue, it would get worse. And then he would do stuff like slash my tires so I couldn't leave. And one time I tried to put him out and he found me and shot at me while I was driving in the car 
and he used to like strangle me until I would pass out wait, or like wait wait, wait hold on I, I've, I've got to interrupt you I'm sorry but I hold on hold on, hold on. so at one point he shot at you you yeah. guys were still living together e- yes okay so he shoots at you you're aware that it was he who shot at you right yes and you guys ended up in the same house that night or the next day no it wasn't, we didn't end up back in the same house for a couple weeks, but ultimately he convinced me or whatever. I gave in and I took him back. Why do you think you did that? And, um, honestly, you know, in hindsight, I looked at it as when I would leave, I didn't, I guess I was afraid of the loneliness or, uh, more or less to be honest, that was it. Cause when I would be ready to leave, like I would have my friends there or my family and they would egg me on to leave and like, yeah, and they'll help me come pack my stuff and anything. But then about a week later, I'm lonely cause I've left and then he's calling and texting or whatever. And then I just give in more or less out of loneliness or familiarity. Like i I felt that he was trying so hard to get back, get me back because he loved me. And that actually stems more from abandonment issues from childhood or so. So and it was just a repetitive cycle for three years. Okay. So he, so he, he shot at you. He didn't come home that night. You stayed away a week. Now we are a week later. What happened next? What was the next thing he did? Um, what, when moving in or coming back home or whatever? No, after, so you, you shot at you, you guys, you know, are reconciled a week later or whatever. And now you're back in the house. So what was the next, you know, bout of, uh, domestic abuse? Um, that's more when the choking would happen or whatever. Uh, he would choke me until I would pass out and, um, couple times I would go into seizures, but he would like put me in the shower and run the water on me to wake me up. It was, and then when I had bruises on me, he wouldn't let me leave. Like he wouldn't allow me to see my family. He would basically hold me in the house until I loved him again. Basically, <laughs> I, it was, it was different. It was really crazy. And how long did this relationship last from, let's say, not from the inception, but from the time the abuse started? How long did, you know, what was the duration until it it ended? It was about two and a half years after the abuse started. That's a long time to go through abuse. It is. And yeah, it's crazy. So what ended it? What ended it? Um... Honestly, I got pregnant with my son and I, I just, I, I feared for my son's life. So I, I left. And, and this was his son. Yeah. Okay. So you f- moved to another city and got a house and never looked back really. And did he come after you? He attempted to. And I mean, he succeeded in a way he got back in contact with me, 
and I let him come to the hospital where my son was born. And oddly, the way the universe works, he actually was arrested when my son was three weeks old for unrelated charges that had to do with possession of a firearm, of all things. <laughs> and so he went to prison for a long time, for five years. And we um, never had any issues ever again. <laughs> so here you are now. You've gone through... Um what was a one-time domestic abuse scenario followed up by a close to three-year um, bout. And uh, mm-hmm. at this point, I'm, no, you, I'm pretty sure having moved away and having the kids, um, you just about had enough of that. But it happened again, right? Yep. I thought I was over that. And that... The yeah, it, this one was different. It was um, I guess they all were different, but neither none were better than the others. This one was, I was with this person for seven years, and it wasn't abusive until the last two or three years. I would say, I literally watched a person that. I told all of this too that promised me they would never hurt me and said they had never hit women and weren't that type of person. And I could see that they weren't this type of person. And I literally watched that man change into basically an abuser. Why do you think that happened? Circumstances changing. What, what, what was the stressor? What do you think the stressor was? that caused a man who spent seven years with you, who spent the first four as a peaceful person to all of a sudden basically morph into someone else. Were you ever able to identify something? or Okay, so tell us about that. And (laughs) it was actually the same in all three, to be honest. So the person I was with the last time, um, when I met him, he was working, working with the studios, working on a popular TV show. And, you know, he was doing pretty good and he was comfortable in life and, um, you know, had a nice career going for him. And then while working in this industry, there was more access to drugs than people would like to admit. And that wasn't even the beginning of the problem. Like, I didn't know that's what goes on on studio sets that go late into the night. But the show that he was working on ended up getting canceled. And then out of, like, a lot of people, he was one of the people that got laid off without work. And a lot of other people, you know, they found other ways to deal with it and they found other jobs and stuff like that. He couldn't find work right away. And he slipped into like a depression and then he started using drugs more and drinking more and smoking cigarettes and just abusing substances to numb his pain or whatever was going on. And then he would take out his frustrations on me 
basically at the end of the day. And then whenever I would be doing something like I'd be working or, uh, cause I, some, I was working plus I was doing like other acting stuff on the side, but like doing extra work. And so when I would get like gigs, he would get kind of jealous. And so I just noticed every time it seemed like I had something good going on, he would get mad and he would like argue with me then. And it wasn't like physical at first. He would like back me into a corner yelling at me and talk down to me until I felt like nothing. It was verbal abuse. It wasn't the same as the physical. So therefore I would justify it. I like, well, he's not hitting me. But that wasn't the case. It was it was just as bad. It was, and then he would break stuff. He would break the mirrors or punch the TV and the refrigerator door, punch walls, and he would do stuff like that and scare the kids. And it was just chaos. And then the next day he would cry and say he was sorry and all of this stuff. And it was just mentally exhausting and stressful. It was, and the kids were scared and I was scared and I never knew. I would tiptoe around my words just because I didn't want to set off whatever it is that he was going to do. Like I didn't want him to break anything. And then it got to a point where once he broke the stuff, he would throw me on the floor, like with the broken glass. And then it, I don't even know exactly how or when, what, what pushed me to just be like, I was done with it. But oh, I finally decided, like, I, if you notice in all of these bouts, I never called the police except in the first one. And so then I finally decided to call the police. And they, then when he found out I, I called the police, he like, slamming me on the ground but the kids ran and they told like the apartment manager and stuff and the police came and they ended up taking him to jail and we got a restraining order and um it took a while because he still kept coming around and he still was harassing me in places and on like stalking me on the internet and stuff but uh we ended up we had their string brother, then we ended up relocating. But I don't know. So he never <laughs> he he actually he um yes it was a bit but he never actually like you know punched you or choked you or shot at you for sure. Yeah, not that it wasn't <laughs> that it didn't it didn't go there. Okay, but, so uh, now before I go on. Was that the last experience, or have, were there others? That was the last. That, that was it. That okay. Was it. So, <laughs> in looking at these three relationships now, how do you think this domestic violence affected, I mean, we know how it affected you, but what about your family, your kids, and, and all the other family around you who, like you said, some of them urged you to get out of certain relationships, et cetera. And, you know, we've heard from People, you know, recounting different stories where, it, you know, sometimes uh, someone that's in an abusive relationship is 
is in a, is in a mental space where they will actually choose the abuser over their family. So tell me a bit about that. It was it was excruciating for my family. I will say because my family loves me and my especially my sisters, my sisters and I are very close. And so every time these things would happen, I would mostly tell them and talk to them. And so they would come to my rescue if I needed them. And it got to a point where, yeah, they were tired of hearing about it. They didn't want to see me getting hurt. So they kind of separated themselves or I don't even know. Um, kind of just left me alone. And so I was kind of isolated for, as for the kids, it hurt them the most because they had to watch it and they had no power and they felt like they had no power. And we had to go through therapy together to restore the bond with me and them just because of the last situation and people don't think about that when they're in these situations women they don't think about the effect that it's having on their kids that are watching them getting abused like especially our sons because they watch tv and they watch cartoons and they see the superheroes and it makes them feel like they're weak or they're inadequate because they can't save their mom from getting hurt when in all actuality they shouldn't be in a position where they have to or feel like they have to. And it's not good for them to be around any of that, to hear it. It goes with them. They carry it with them. They see it and they think that people act. And and if you pay attention to kids when they're playing, if they're playing with their toys, if they're going through that at home, they'll reenact it while they're playing with their toys. So do you think at any point... And that's how they think relationships. Do you think at any point they felt... um, at at any point during all of this that they're experienced that you were actually choosing the the man over them? I'm not sure, but I think they they I'm hundred percent, you know, I I could see that being a case like them saying feeling that way. So I'm really glad that in the end they got to see me really choose them. What I didn't add into the end of that last situation story is that because of how violent the last fight between me and him was, CPS did be called in. Uh, my kids didn't get taken from me, so I didn't literally have to fight to get them back or anything like that. I'm fortunate, but I did have to comply with certain things from the court to keep my kids which at that time I was working full-time and I was a student at night and I had to complete like these um, classes and do the, uh, the therapy. I had to do therapy by myself and I had to do the therapy with the kids. And um, I basically had to quit my job to be able to do that. So it was really rough. Well, I had to choose between school and my job at the time. So I chose to 
quit working full time and to continue to go to school and to go to these classes and to do this therapy so I could keep my kids. So you had family support, I'm assuming, at that to be able to do that. At that time, I didn't have any really family support at that time. What happened right before all this happened, also my mother died. And then my sisters, because of all the abuse, we were like in totally different areas of California. So I didn't have people really close to me. And I really, it was really just me and the kids. And at first it was scary, but ultimately it made us and our bond stronger. How did you survive? Financially? I ended up up getting a job at the nearby Kmart that was by my house, which I don't know exactly where you are, but that's like a department store. And it was in like walking distance of my house and of the kids' school. And so I got a part-time job there. So I would work a few hours and I could juggle the schedule that way. And you were able to financially take care of yourself and the kids. I I was struggling. We struggled. We struggled. But I mean, we, we were like barely making ends meet. But the point of it all was to keep us together. So going through all of this, I mean, it's already a a powerful story, but it's also a very familiar story. We see so many um, women going through domestic abuse, and it's so relevant right now with the pandemic and people being quarantined, where the numbers of people going through domestic abuse and domestic violence have increased exponentially. And I'm I'm assuming from human nature, I would want to ask, was there any point, this may be a difficult question for you to answer, and I would understand that, but throughout this whole thing, was there any point where you thought that the easy way out was to end it all? When it came to that second relationship, it was a lot. Um, I can honestly say that I had became suicidal and almost homicidal because at one point we were on the freeway and he was arguing with me. And I knew that once we got home, he was going to hurt me. And like, we've talked about some things on here, but to the extent of what he used to do to me, I couldn't even talk about like, it was borderline torture what he would do to me and I didn't want that. So I literally have grabbed the wheel while he was driving and spun the car out on the freeway and came this close to being hit by a big rig. And on other, in other circumstances, I have tried to jump out of the car while it was moving And I just, I contemplated suicide all the time to the point that I had a plan of how I would do it and not leave a mess or anything for anybody else where nobody would even, like, be able to really stop me. Just with my own medical training and everything I've seen. So 
I've definitely been there and I've been to points where I've, yeah, drove into the freeway overpass and contemplated like just jumping off because I felt like I was failing as a human, as a mother, as a woman, as a girlfriend or whatever. So that is, that has happened on more occasions than I would like to admit. And then um, that, that kind of leads into my next thought and a little bit of the information I know about you or um, ahead of knew about you ahead of time. There was a point where you eventually were diagnosed with PTSD, correct? Yes. So, so when I was younger, I was, I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder but I took meds for like six months and kind of regulated it and didn't really have issues with it so much. And then after this last um, abusive situation, I had to, like I said, they made me go to therapy and that's when they diagnosed me with complex PTSD. And the only reason they call it complex is because I had so many traumatic scenarios that I hadn't dealt with. And so part of that, that after leaving that relationship, it was hard for me to sleep at night. And I would just break down crying at random times. And I was fearful of people just in general, loud noises. If I'm in public and people start screaming like loud, like arguing, I get scared. And I'm afraid of people even like touching anywhere near my neck. And that stems from being choked and tongue and stuff that happened in the previous relationship, just stuff that I didn't even notice. And that also um, basically contributes to the suicide ideation. Hang on a second. Let's pause again. I hate to interrupt you because you're going in the nice. It's okay. But did you say hung? Yes. No, you have. It, you it can't wasn't leave that. Like with a noose, but he would take a belt basically and put it around my neck and hold me up until I pass out. It there's a lot. <laughs> I don't. It's 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 just a lot. It's a lot. There's. And and I understand if you you know if, if you're at a point where you you know you don't want to bring that. Uh, you know, that stuff up, have it regurgitate. But um, I also understand that you are here where you are right now in life and having this conversation because um, unlike many scenarios that end in a really bad or sad way, you have overcome. And to say that, I'm going to start off with asking you, um, what do you do to treat your PTSD? What do, what do you do to to cope to have, to lead as normal as possible life? I found the coping mechanism that works for me is physical fitness. Well, different types of physical, like running mostly, but I also work out in the gym. I cycle a little bit, um, but and I go hiking with the kids. But I use that for 
literally to just regulate my moods in my brain. Like it helps me with my stress and it's been the greatest coping mechanism. I've tried some prescription meds and they don't really seem to help me. Like they kind of make me numb to stuff, but I don't like that feeling that they give me. So I um, use physical fitness. Okay. Like, I think a lot of survivors What about relationships? And I'm not talking with family now. What about, so here you are. Is, is it, has it become three strikes and you're done? Or where are you with that? It has been a challenge for me to maintain or to just trust people to be in a relationship. So um, I've dated, I'm currently dating, but I, I have a hard time trusting people. So I kind of push people away, which is something I'm working on, but. It's quite understandable. After all the experiences, yeah, it's just hard. <laughs> and I don't want to put my kids through anything like that ever again. So, so it, as part of who Lonnie Woods has become, and I think that from listening to your story and hearing you with a certain level of confidence and ability to uh, you know, speak about your experiences in, in, in the manner that you have, that there's a power behind even the most negative of situations. And one of the things I know about, and I want you to tell us a bit about, is your podcast, Unrelenting Humans. Tell us about that. All right. <laughs> so, Unrelenting Humans, that has come about. It is a podcast primarily about um, overcoming adversity. Uh, people tell their stories about overcoming different types of adversity, whether it being physical or psychological. I mostly interview athletes because um, last year I was doing an obstacle course race called Spartan and I tore my ACL and after I tore my ACL, if anybody knows what an ACL rupture is, you know, you got to have surgery and the recovery time is about nine months to a year. So I just uh, was kind of depressed and started looking into, you know, looking for other people on the internet that had this issue so I could ask questions because I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and I found a lot of inspirational people and a lot of different people that had stories that were, you know, from people that had an actual ACL injury to, you know, disabled people who, you know, amputees and people in wheelchairs and different stuff that didn't let that stop them. You know, they went through something and they still found a way to do whatever it was that they loved. And I thought that that was really amazing. And those stories got me through some really tough, times when I first was injured. So I decided to start a podcast to have these people tell their stories so they can inspire and motivate other people that were going through something similar. Okay. That's really, really great. And I'm going to, 
allow you the shameless plug to tell us, you know, when it comes <laughs> on and how people can get to it, etc. Go ahead. All right. Well, it is called Unrelenting Humans. I am on Instagram at unrelenting underscore humans. It is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, um, Amazon Music, um, uh, Google Podcasts. It's almost everywhere where you could possibly listen to the podcast. And I also have a YouTube for Unrelenting Humans where I do something called the mini cast. So I give you kind of a nice little eight minute teaser of what's on the podcast for people that don't have time to like listen to the whole thing, but want like a quick dose of motivation. So if you're interested in that, uh, go ahead and give it a listen. (laughs) That's really, really great. And I think that um, after hearing your story, you know, between people who are interested in, in your subject matter and simply interested in you and what you've overcome We'll probably, uh, you know, tons of my listeners will probably head over there to check you out. So as we're getting ready to the end of this, I have a couple of more questions. Uh, My last two questions. And this one might require a little bit deeper thought. But who is Lonnie Woods today? Having overcome all of that, who are you today? Uh, well, now Lonnie Woods is a mother of two, a domestic violence survivor, I like to call myself. <laughs> and uh, I'm an ultrasound technologist. Uh, I specialize in vascular ultrasound and a podcast host. <laughs> okay, well, that, that, that alone is a, is a handful for someone be, uh, who has gone through what you've gone through. And I can tell from what you've told us that you know, you've left out some of the more uh, gory details of, of someone that you've gone through. So I think the other important question that I have um, or, or, or ask that I have is if you can put everything in a nutshell and speak to every domestic violence uh, sufferer who is listening or who will listen to this podcast, every woman out there, at every level, what would Lonnie Woods tell them right now? I, I would have to tell them that no one can help you but you, and it's not going to get better. It never gets better. It gets worse. If you pay attention, it gets worse every time until you leave. And in order to survive, you have to get the courage to leave, to walk away and not look back and know that you are better than that, that there is more for you, better for you on the other side. But the first step of getting to that other side is to leave. You have to take that first step and love yourself more than you love the attention of anyone else more than you love the lies that are being told to you, more than you love the attention or the affection or the financial security that is keeping you there, you are worth more. Your life is more important. So even if you don't feel that it is physically killing you, it is killing your spirit. It is killing you emotionally. And ultimately, it will take your mind. Get out while you can because you 
are the most important thing that you have right now. So even if you don't have family, you still have yourself. And there are people out there going through the same thing that have been through the same thing. So you are not alone. And if you are listening to that, you can DM me, you can email me. Uh, my Instagram is evolution underscore of underscore Lonnie or hit me at unrelenting humans. It doesn't matter. Unrelenting humans at gmail.com anytime, any day. I will talk to you. If you need help, I will find you resources. Fantastic. And I will say that all of those links I'll tell my audience out there that every single link that uh, Lonnie has uh, listed will be in the body of the podcast as you listen. So all of her resources will be there. Um, Reach out to her, like she says, because you do not have to go through this alone. And if for some reason you, you, you can't get to her links, then, you know, reach out to me and I'll reach out to her. But it's important that People listen to the message and and people get hope from those who have survived and understand that you're not alone. And, you know, having said that, Lonnie, I want to thank you so much, not just for who you are today, not just for starting things like, you know, unrelenting humans and, and being a resource for others, but being for being a survivor and for being brave enough to tell your stories to uh, the thousands of listeners that I and supporters I have out there of this podcast, because the whole essence of this podcast and and the on the whole reason that it exists is for people like you not only to have a voice but to share your story. So I thank you so very much for being on the show, and you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're quite welcome. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well. (laughs) And I will definitely come back. (laughs) And we would love to have you back. You know, maybe maybe we'll get enough feedback from listeners that will demand your presence again. And who am I to deny that? Definitely. Yes, please do. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good night. You too. All right. I want to say a very, very special thank you to my guest, Lonnie Woods, for being a part of this episode and for sharing the most powerful message that hopefully will help others and and empower others to step forward and to get out of a situation that they must do on their own. Remember what she said, get the power, convince yourself to leave, take the first step. I also want to thank all of my listeners for your continued support. I remind you that you can listen to this episode when it is released and all the episodes of 247 Real Talk Podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net where we also feature the episodes and all the information on our guests. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to leave me a message, you can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.